Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Okay. You want, are we going to bump it back and forth like we usually do? Live? No, 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 no. Because I've listened to all this, so I know it needs to happen. Oh, but yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do it as if we're actually talking. Okay. So is yeah, it yeah. no, 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 or yeah, 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 yeah? Yes. What, what? Like the okay. lines the lines that have T, you read that. Uh, then the line that has E, I'll read that. And then the line yeah. that has T, then you do that. I like that. Yeah. It's almost like we have a system. Okay. All right. I'll start. Hey everyone, it's Elliot. And Todd. Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar, an ongoing conversation about pop culture and iconic design. Today we're going to take a step back in time and into a bar from the past as we rub elbows with the beats. We may be in Greenwich Village. We could be in North Beach. Wherever our bar is for you, it's home to the hippest cats and the coolest kittens. So ask the bartender for some reasonably priced Chianti, wave the cigarette smoke away from your face, and dig the crazy scene right alongside us here in the bar. So, all right, welcome back, everybody. We are continuing our series about the beats, and we've been digging in deeply into a couple things that Elliot and I really love, jazz, albums, and illustration. And um, Elliot's brought a couple really cool illustrators to the bar, um, even some I'm not very familiar with, and I'm so glad I dug into them. And I bet you brought another person today. I did. I absolutely did. So let's jump in and uh, let's learn a little bit about drumroll. And we'll see, Todd, if this is someone you've heard of. All right. Jim Flora. Do you know who Jim Flora was? I have heard of Jim Flora. I figured um, you might. He seems like somebody who, I don't know, like you guys would have similar auras or something. Like it seems like you guys would really align. Yeah. And now, you know, this is, don't roll your eyes at this, but... One of the reasons I really like Jim Flora is because his work reminds me of Mary Blair's from her her Disney time with, like, It's a Small World and that kind of stuff. Okay. Why would I roll my eyes at that? Well, because I thought you might roll your eyes that that I was kind of digging on It's a Small World. Oh. Oh, there are so many other things that you're interested in I've rolled my eyes about. <laughs> I mean, that would be so far down the list. All right, but anyway, okay, so that was a that was a distraction to, to go there about. We'll have to do another episode about Mary Blair, but you talk about Jim Flora. So definitely cool artist of that period, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So he's probably best known. So if people have ever seen his work, I would say 
they probably ran across it first um, for the cover art he did for RCA Victor and Columbia Records in the 40s and the 50s. So, again, there's this music tie-in. Okay, yeah, all right. But like we've said before with David Stone Martin and, and really all these folks from this era, they were doing other things as well. They weren't just illustrating uh, jazz album art or record album art in general. Um, and his style... Um, <laughs> He was very sort of distinctive, very sort of, I don't know, idiosyncratic. Um, so we'll we'll get into talking about who he is and, and his style in, in just a moment. Um, but just to give a little bit more of a background on this guy, beyond just what he did in terms of his records, he was also a commercial illustrator from the 40s to the 70s. And get Whoa. this, you might not know this, um, I didn't know this. He was the author and illustrator of 17 popular children's books. That didn't know 17. that. 17. Isn't that crazy? Oh. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. And then he was also a fine artist. So again, a lot of these guys did commercial work. They did fine art. And the two things often influence one another naturally. So... He created hundreds of paintings and drawings and etchings, sketches. I mean, he lived to be 84, so he definitely had time to pump out a bunch of work. Yeah. Where did he come from? What is he all about? Um, in 1942, he'd been out of art school for a few years. He was hired for $55 a week by Columbia Records. And this seems to be the going rate, right? That's good money. <laughs> well, if you think about, remember Reed Miles and how he got paid roughly that same amount for each right, cover right. he did for Blue Note? Um, and Blue Note was a heck of a lot smaller than Columbia. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right, right. Okay. He was not the, the lead dog here. Like, this was sort of entry-level work. So he was in the art department, but his boss was a guy named Alex Steinweiss. And do you know why that name is important? Mm, other than being a mucky muck at Columbia Records, no. Okay. So everybody who has ever held a record, CD, cassette, whatever, is indebted to this guy because he is the one who actually invented the illustrated album cover. Hmm. He was the first one to say, hey, this shouldn't just basically be a grocery bag. <laughs> you know, there should be oh, wow. something huh. on this that tells the, the buyer what it is. So that was his claim to fame. That was Steinweiss's claim to fame. So he was directing Flora, and Flora was... For this $55 a week, he was illustrating ads. He was illustrating new release bulletins and retail and trade literature. Basically, all the utilitarian things that supported the operations of a record label, right? You know, yeah, so yeah. all the sales materials and things like that and the, the basic advertising. So in Columbia, stayed there for, oh, I don't know, up roughly 10 years. Um, and then... Flora leaves in the early 50s in 1951, and he decides that he's going to have a freelance commercial art career. Mm -hmm. And 
it takes off. I mean, looking at his work, it's obvious why, right? So again, just like David Stone Martin, he had all of these amazing household brand name clients. So he was illustrating covers and articles for magazines like Fortune, Life, Look, Newsweek, New York Times Magazine, Mademoiselle, Sports Illustrated. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he was no slouch. Yeah, yeah. Very enviable um, roster of, of clients for sure. He also, while he was doing this, he took an art direction job in another magazine called Park East. So this was in New York. And he published the first commercial illustrations by an illustrator named R.O. Blackman, who went on to do all sorts of different no things. Kidding. Yeah. But wait, there's more, Todd. This is, yeah. this is, you love a thread. This is, he's tied, you're tying it together. There was also a young scamp whose uh, spot illustrations got in the magazine, a guy named Andy something, Andy uh, oh, Warhola. Something Andrew like that. Warhola. Some guy yeah, from really? Pittsburgh, yes. So he was one of the first persons to give him a chance. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Like, um, that guy connects R.O. Blackman and Andy Warhol. This is like the six degrees of pop culture right <laughs> it here. It really is. It really is. Going back to Columbia. Okay. So he leaves at the end of 1952 from the Park East Magazine stint, and he gets replaced as art director by Robert M. Jones. And what was great about this is this is the same guy who <laughs> had replaced him as the art director at Columbia Records. So apparently... Oh, no kidding. He was just following him around. Yeah, it's like a hermit crab or something. Well, the shell... <laughs> I've outgrown this shell, but if you want to move in, have at it. <laughs> <laughs> So why is Jones important? Like, why, why am I bringing him up? So he then becomes, in March of 53, he wasn't there that long at this, at this magazine, he becomes the art director at RCA Victor Records. And he begins jobbing out album cover assignments, right? Because he has this work he needs to get done. Park East must have been a sucky magazine. Yeah, well, we, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. No one wanted to, I guess you're paying your dues or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Hey, look, Warhol, though, you know, I mean, yeah, so yeah. They, they did something good. See, stop bagging on Park East magazine, man. <laughs> so he starts jobbing out some of this album cover art to his buddy, Flora, right? So, like, you know, one hand washes the other. But. This then results in a golden age of Flora LP covers, okay? Mm-hmm. This is one of the albums I'm going to be talking about in a minute was developed during this era, and that is Mambo for Cats. So stick a pin in that. We're going to get back oh, to yeah, that in a moment, yeah. okay? Inside, Sauter, Finnegan, Lord Buckley's hipsters, flipsters, and finger-popping daddies. We'll talk more about Lord Buckley. He was kind of this yeah. uh, humorist and sort of beatnik. Not beat, but beatnik icon. <laughs> uh, I want to make that distinction very clear. Uh, so Lord Buckley's hipsters, flipsters, and finger-popping daddies. Knock me your lobes. <laughs> and <laughs> Shorty Rogers courts the count. So... I, I just, I love this stuff so much. And his style yeah. is so perfect for this content, this subject matter. And then he also did 
spot illustration jobs for Columbia as a freelancer, and he did some more album covers during 52 and 53. He also, though, Todd, again, you know, we love a thread. We love to tie things yeah, back together. Yeah, Okay. He also, in the 50s, had assignments for commercial storyboards for the animation studio United Productions of America. Oh, you know what? I was going to say, and I, I, I didn't know this, but I was going to say, you know, his work looks like UPAs. Like, they must be, like, somebody around that time. That is so cool. He was doing boards for UPA at the same time. Yeah, and these, just for folks who don't know who UPA is, if you've ever heard of uh, characters like Mr. Magoo, that yeah. was uh, UPA. And then, as I mentioned earlier, he developed these children's books, and so he's just been really, really, really prolific. So let's talk about his style for a minute, and then we'll get into the uh, album art specifically that I really like, Mambo for Cats. Speaking of cats, how about we wet our whiskers with another round from the bar before we jump in? Ooh, that sounds good. I'm inspired. So, uh, hey, how about a white Russian for this cool cat? Um, okay, white Russian. Oh, I get it. Yeah, okay. Cream, right? Mm. Okay, sure. All right, you got me distracted there with the white Russian, but I guess I'm buying again. So, we'll be back in a minute. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi. We want to take a moment to mention that if you're enjoying this episode, we have an archive of topics ranging from the Olympics to movie posters. Think Ghostbusters. Iconic images. Think Bigfoot. Punk music. The Ramones. Saturday morning cartoons. The Pink Panther. And failed products like OK Soda. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com for full episode notes and visuals, the latest blog content, and to sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Find the links on our website or search using the phrase Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. Most importantly, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people like you find podcasts like this. And tell a friend about us. Send them a link to our podcast from your listening platform of choice. And if you're inclined, buy our merchandise. Stickers, coasters, magnets, t-shirts. We're designers. We make good stuff and it helps support the show. Get in touch. Use the contact form on our website or send an email to hello at two designers walk into a bar.com. We read every message we get. Honest. And we're available for speaking gigs. Email us to learn more. Okay, now, back to the bar. Laura, he had this sort of cartoonish style. And it really... um, (laughs) One phrase I read, and I really, really love this, describing his work, it said... 
He had a diabolic humor and uninhibited sense of outrageousness. <laughs> I thought that was great. I want to, you know, I want that on my tombstone. I think that's good. That's incredible. He was a that that he was a finger popping daddy too, wasn't he, he? He was, man. He knocks me on my lobes. <laughs> he does. <laughs> lend, lend him your lobes. <laughs> Much of his, he was not a crow quill. For the record, he did not, uh, you know, uh, partake, shall we say, in the crow quill pen, as far as I know. Uh, I mean, he did some right. pen and ink sketches and things like this. He did smaller tempera's. Um, and it was always these clusters of sort of unrelated images interlocking, sort of look like, I don't know sort of runes or something like yeah. these little sketches hieroglyphics and, yeah, yeah and this brickwork and everything's kind of cluttered yeah. together bizarre figures disturbing nonsensical but like you're you're always intrigued you're always looking and you're you're seeing something else every time you look at it um and he this was not a guy who if you recall when we were talking about reed miles and and talking about some of the blue note work mm-hmm white space right right not a fan of white space was yeah it? not at all quite the opposite he's he actually said direct quote i could never stand a static space so like <laughs> he always wanted it activated with something not just i would say occupied by something but activated so music was one of flora's big muses obviously he's working at a record label he's doing these album art designs so he was very into music i mean this totally makes sense and some of these montages sort of represent improvisation right yeah yeah you sort of have this one-man band jamming on a canvas and he actually has a biography written about him and it was by a fellow named erwin chusett and he said that Flora, quote, crafted rhythmic design in unfathomable meters. <laughs> and that just reminds me a little bit of what we talked about. Uh, if you think about Dave Brubeck and you think about this oddball yeah, yeah. timing in jazz. And I love the fact that that unpredictability, that sonic unpredictability can be translated visually. I think that's really interesting. It, it, yeah. And it sounds so much like upa animation too yeah when the yeah. way you described it it's like this rhythmic design these sort of blasts of things happening and like just weird weird meters and sound to accentuate the the animation and the shapes and the colors mm-hmm mm-hmm and what was great is he's somebody who over time his style change so if you think about what he was doing early with some of these um, crammed and cluttered pieces of art in the 40s that doesn't really bode well for a children's book right so we're talking about how he was working on these children's books but kids need something that's a little bit more distilled down and, and simple so from the 40s when he was getting started to the 70s when he was starting to delve into some of these books with this more broad appeal he sort of calmed things down a bit it got a little bit less edgy so the more popular he became essentially the less quote-unquote threatening his art became right so he he definitely sort of tamed the beast a little bit in terms of some of his more irreverent or outrageous tendencies i think uh right 
even though he did these cuddly, sort of kitty-lit illustrations, these family-friendly things, his art still had a bizarre edge to it. But it was, you know, playful, it was comic. It was also at times sort of erotic, or it was macabre. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. On occasion, I guess, it could sort of even shock and offend people when they were looking at the details. And the only thing I can think of here, I guess the modern comparison I would make is it's sort of like his tentacle porn or something, right? Like it's his yeah. his yeah. way to yeah. like put something out into the world that was that that was outrageous when he was doing this sort of middle America commercial work yeah. in the seventies, right? Yeah. Yeah. We really need to talk about who his work influenced. Now we'll get into Mambo for Cats. So a couple folks that I know you and I both love who are directly, I mean, I think no pun intended, or I guess pun intended, we can draw direct lines between Jim Flora and these guys. One is uh, Pixar's uh, Pete Doctor, right? Yeah, like the, yeah. this, his look and feel of what he does. And then the other one is someone you and I, I know, have talked about in the past and we both love is uh, J. Otto Seaver. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he also did children's books. Yeah. Uh, there's two more that just popped in my head that, that the names came up on some of our bar snacks talking with our friend Lenny Terenzi. There's a guy named Derek Yaniger, um, that that is the the natural lineage of, um, of Flora. Absolutely. And we'll put links to all of these folks, and we'll put links to this work on our episode page, too. But before we go any further, Todd, I think we need to talk a little bit about Mambo for Cats. <laughs> I've been waiting for that. I've listened to this album. It's from 1955. And uh, I'm not sure if this was actually meant to be listened to by cats. I mean, maybe cats in terms of <laughs> cool cats, but I don't know. I played it for my actual cats, yeah. and they um, were not overly impressed. They didn't like. Didn't really do anything. It did, well, it didn't turn into the Aristocats. You know, they didn't just hop on their hind legs right. and start dancing and doing all this stuff. So I was a little well, disappointed that maybe some of the magic over the years had not been retained by this album. That is clearly how you should judge all music then if they don't turn into the Aristocats. (laughs) But uh, I want to talk about Mambo for Cats because I love this. There's, again, no white space on this sucker. And it almost feels like a... um, like a block print, right? It almost feels yeah, like it it's like a three-color screen print or block print or something like that. And just like David Stone Martin's work, the Bird and Diz work, this also, all the lettering on it is hand-lettered. There's, again, some very sort of uh, fine print that's uh, truly mm-hmm. typeset, but um, Mambo is uh, upper-lower, even four, <laughs> which is uh, probably should be all lowercase if you're going to get anal about your typography but then cats is all uppercase and it's great because the three colors it's sort of a um i don't know what would you say like a uh sort of like in a, a turquoise yeah kind of like a like a deep yeah turquoise and then sort of a, a terracotta uh red orange black. and then black it looks african to me it does it, it does yeah. and and i think part of that is the illustration style you have these yeah. three cats 
And uh, two are playing drums. Uh, one cat is only playing a single drum, and he's sort of sitting there playing, and he's on the left. Then you have one cat playing three drums, so he's obviously ambidextrous and very talented. And then you have mm-hmm. uh, a cat lying on its back playing, I don't know, what would you think that is, a clarinet or a horn of some sort? A bong? Sort? Oh, that's what that is. Well, that, <laughs> that starts to make a lot more sense then to me. And they all have these mustaches, Yes, too, instead of whiskers, great. they all have these mustaches. And again, it's sort of this same flat art kind of cubist sort of Picasso-ish rendering that the faces especially the cat playing the three different drums mm-hmm. it almost is more human to me yeah. than it is yeah, cat-like is. and the cats all have a combination of stripes and spots and they don't even really have paws. They sort of have these almost claw-like hooves or yeah, something. Yeah. So it almost feels a little bit devilish or something like that. Um, yeah. Jim, Jim Flora was just not being bound by any rules of physics on this one. No, no. But I think it works. Like, if you saw this, if you're in a record store and this was on display, would you not want to tear it open and go over to a turntable and listen to it? Absolutely. I mean, it's just incredible. I would love to have this as a giant poster and just hang it in my office or something. I happen to see right now that you can order that as a giant poster, as a matter of fact. Are you are you buying it for me? H- haven't I bought you enough, really? But yeah, I, I mean, guess I should. Yeah, but usually the things you buy me, I just end up drinking. <laughs> it's Actually, I say that... Uh, it it might be uh, it's a limited edition, so they may not have had they may not have any more. But I tell you, let me look into it, Elliot. Let me okay. look into it. So basically, what you're saying is you got my hopes up, and now you've just dashed them on the rocks. That's exactly it. Ooh, that's, wait! That's, that's I exactly just said uh, I just said on the rocks. Oh, I like what you did with that. That reminds me, we <laughs> probably should take a break. <laughs> <laughs> yep, one more episode left. As we start to talk about the origins of, uh, we've talked about the beats, but we really haven't talked about beat nicks. And uh, that's really what everybody, I think, is thinking in the back of their minds. It's like, okay, guys, this is great and all, but like, when do the beat nicks make the scene? <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where have they been this yeah, whole time? Where's Maynard When can G. I wear Krabs. my, yeah, when can I wear my sunglasses and my beret and, and play my bongos? Yeah, and wh- what's this all about? So, as we wrap up our uh, our tour through time, um, we can't leave the beat nicks behind, and we will talk about them as uh, we wrap up our uh, our era on the beats. All right, see everybody next time right here around the bar. <laughs> same beat time, same beat channel. <laughs> I'm Sarah, the paper nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, 
well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.